This is the show. This is the party. Nobody chose their mortal body. The skin we're in. The podcast if you're listening to this it's either the day before thanksgiving or after thanksgiving 2020 which we all hope ends at some point and everyone hopes that you had a great holiday spent safely with family either if you're able to be together or if you have to do some sort of distance delivered thing like a zoom call or i guess social distance as we're calling it I hope you all were able to do that and have just had some time off. Just relax. 2020 has been a little extra and let's be done with it. But let's also take care of ourselves, take care of our families, and let's be happy. We feature the music by our friends Pan Astral. This is all of the color. Check them out. Panastral.com. Panastral. If you get digital music. And also, if you can... Find ways to support artists, not just like Pan Astro, but everywhere. It's local business. Everyone is struggling, finding new ways to make money, to keep existing financially during COVID-19. So give what you can, tip as much as you can, support businesses, support, support local artists. And from there, thanks for listening. Again, take care of yourselves. Have a fantastic holiday. And, uh, yeah, it does sound like I'm eating the microphone. For those of you that get the wonderful graphic made by our friend Alyssa, it looks like I'm eating the microphone, but I'm not trying to. But apparently in this recording, that's what I was going for. Do your best to ignore that. Do your best to ignore really anything kind of crappy that's happening right now. Happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays, be well, take care of yourselves, take care of your families, and thank you. Where do you want to jump into it with our uh, old friend, the... uh, American Lion. Oh man. Well, I I kind of liked what you what you had to say before before you were you started recording to give us some context here as to like the mindset that we're in right now as we try to discuss Andrew Jackson. <laughs> so, dear listeners, we just finished uh, watching the well. Michelle caught the end of it, I believe. Part of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My wife and I watched the entire thing of the first and possibly last presidential debate of the 2020 season and um <laughs> michelle brought up how like you know, he wanted law and order and all these things except for what it benefited him and i said yeah that kind of yeah. sounds like the guy we're going to discuss this week where he decried government overreach and all these things and you know an abusive executive however 
loved uh, signing executive orders and breaking the law when it served his own purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you you kind of made the point. You know, I think I think the point was um, around the the question of when the election is being tabulated and all the ballots are being counted. Will you will you please tell your people to not jump into a civil war? Yeah, <laughs> if it, I will, if it turns out to be the way that I want it to be. <laughs> and Trump went around it and was like, "No, we're going to have people watching the polls." It was like, "Yeah, so that was a categorical no." Like, "Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to encourage my people to it's, uh, it's, it's, if they lose the election." In fact, that's actually a contradiction you're saying. I'm going to encourage <laughs> them to possibly be violent before the elections are even over. Exactly. Like go ahead and just, you know, just start it now. Just it's, start it now. Go like, to the polls yeah. and intimidate people. It's fine. Pretty much, yep, absolutely. And you're right, that is very Jacksonian because mm-hmm. uh, he he did, um, his first presidential run, he did not win. He lost to, uh, was it Quincy Adams? It was. <laughs> we, uh, we, bar- we briefly talked about him, I think, in the last podcast and then uh, in our planning <laughs> session. His, yeah, that his father was mean to him. That's yep. what we meant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, when Quincy Adams, uh, and do you remember the details around that particular election? uh, Because I think there was some, there was some kind of deal that was rendered to Yes, um, well, whether, I think the existence of a deal is something that's up for debate, but my recollection is that it was essentially a three-way tie between John Quincy Adams, John Calhoun, and Andrew Jackson, and with, but I believe, really, like, well, but Jackson won the popular vote, and yeah. so he thought, and so this went to Congress, basically, to decide, and he thought, okay, right. well, they'll go with me, because, you know, I should have a tiebreaker, and mm-hmm. um, so Jackson, while blaming Congress for this, yeah, there was like, some corrupt bargain struck, which his supporters, I think, said was going to happen. And so when it did happen, we're like, this is just more proof. We have to get this guy into office. Um, and I, I believe... I think there probably... Likely there was some sort of deal. And the architect is supposed to have been Calhoun, who would kind of said to Quincy Adams, like, in, in people in Congress, all right, well, we'll give you the presidency... I'll take the vice presidency and we'll, you know, we'll do each other some favors. And then when, uh, on a second election, when Jackson won, um, Michelle, would you say it's safe to say that he took vengeance upon being elected? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I mean, (laughs) it was, he he made quite the stink about the, the first go around. And so, yeah, when he did, when he did win the election, I mean, yeah, vengeance is a good way to put it. I don't know. I'm guessing we probably listened to the same Jackson podcast to get kind of some, uh, like a refresher. Like, for, for example, I read American Lion in college and wrote a paper on Andrew Jackson, mainly sourced off of that book. But mm-hmm. my memory was that uh, his mother had left him to go work for a wealthy family and that's where she was when she contracted uh oh no is it tuberculosis or is it a different kind of those i 
Yeah, yeah, I don't remember which one killed her. One um, of those. Uh, she, did, she did get sick. One of those diseases that, thankfully, those of us of a certain age only really saw. Uh, well, in, in the U.S., only saw when you're playing Oregon Trail. Um, because... Yeah, she died of cholera. Yeah, okay. that's the Oregon Trail disease. Yeah, she got cholera. But no, she actually left to go care for wounded uh, soldiers. And that was when she passed away. I was like, oh, that kind of put it in perspective. Because I thought, you know, because he obviously, podcasts I listened to that I enjoyed the most, I was actually re-listening to it tonight on my way home, was the presidential podcast from the Washington Post. And they had, uh, the host had both John Meacham, who wrote American Lion, and Steve Inskeep, who is an NPR host, I believe, who also mm -hmm. wrote a book on Jackson called Jackson Land. And they said, that, you know, two things really defined him, anger and violence, I think is a good jumping off point, too, because, you know, the first subject of our first podcast was Washington, which I think a lot of people probably at the time and probably even now think that somehow Jackson is the like logical successor to the Washington model, which I would say is, I mean, they had some similarities. They were both tall. Uh, they both uh, had, they drew people who admired them fairly easily. They were military leaders, um, and they both did land speculation at one point or another. But mm -hmm. I think it's probably safe to say that Washington was not driven by anger, bitterness, and rageful violence would you agree with that no i would i would agree with that <laughs> <laughs> no that those are not the driving forces behind washington uh they they have a similarity too in in coming from not the most noble of backgrounds mm -hmm. and rising rising up in in ranks in society to uh, become these prominent figures in the military and then just as public figures in general. Uh, and it's, it's also like George Washington looked at etiquette and, uh, you know, reserve behavior to win accolades. And Jackson was like, I'm going to go get my own accolades. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he had this, this, incredibly violent childhood. He lost his parents at a young age. He was uh, captured by the British during the Revolutionary War. He was like 12 or something. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he went through a, a whole lot when he was really young and it was like, well, the world's not a very nice place, so you got to go get it. And mm -hmm. uh, he, he went out there with a lot of a lot of force to, you know, bring himself up into a higher standing in life. I think, too, with Jackson, he viewed probably... You know, what Washington saw is this, uh, you know, the virtuousness of politeness and honor and, you know, being viewed as a virtuous person was, um, for lack of a better term, swear jar, bullshit. And it was in some <laughs> ways used to actually not to not just mask the horrible things you were doing, but as really a tool of hmm, what's a good word for it uh exploitation and mm. so people who 
like clothe themselves in these things who had money, used that as a way to keep people like him down, or people who they did who were viewed as perhaps uncouth or uh, dual happy, if you will, <laughs> uh, out of public spaces and uh, more like our uh, well. Unlike Washington, I don't think it took too much coaxing to get Jackson to run for president. He had been a politician, um, not just you know a military leader. He was very ambitious. Oh, another thing I did not know, I must have not, maybe not finished the book, but Meacham's book mainly focuses on Jackson's time in office. I did yeah. not realize how cruel Jackson was to his own soldiers that he commanded in the militia. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That was surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and speak more on that. What did what did you learn? Just or not relearn. Just <laughs> horrific punishment for insubordination or you know incompetence, as he put it. But summarily executing people for doing such things. Exactly. You're like, didn't he do? And this is gonna sound weird, but worse than hang them at times. Oh, uh, the, the gritty details, I'm not sure. Of. Okay. I know, I, I'm pretty sure hanging was involved there. Um, but yeah, he, he was not, he never shied away from using that, that brute force and, you know, execution to keep his other men in line. Um, and I, I'm thinking that probably very much informed how he handled politics later, too. Just commanding respect and making his own choices and everybody else be damned, um, they better toe the line with him. Indeed. Uh, yeah, because what a kind of... Whether it's, as we talked about with the Washington, uh, or if it's idealized view of him or his legacy, the, what we understand of his leadership was he was not someone who would uh, necessarily have one of his lieutenants murdered by a major for over... I don't know if this happened or not, but, you know, oversleeping or something, or failing to do something. Uh, Washington... I mean, we talked about this with his uh, protege and mentee, Benedict Arnold, where it took until, like, basically he had to be shown, no, this guy's up to no good for him to go, oh, I guess he is up to no good. Yeah. <laughs> How much of Jackson's kind of politics do you think were informed by, as you said, just the tragic kind of upbringing he had? But I feel like he carried this kind of same personality with him throughout his life. Mm. Even though there's. Inskeep said this on that podcast where you could say things that were both good about Jackson and things that were horribly bad and no one's necessarily wrong. <laughs> right. And yeah. like how much of that, cause what I've read too is he carried around this hatred and anger of people dishonoring his wife who mm -hmm. they claimed that he made her a bigamist because they got married before she was technically divorced. And by all accounts, her husband was a, horrible abusive person right but you know he he outlived her by a while and his anger at those around him even manifested with i believe basically uh was it his niece that he kind of shoved aside at one point 
who took over kind of the uh, first lady duties at the White House because she sided with the uh, D.C. contingent that he believes slandered his, was the Secretary of the Navy? Some cabinet member who was uh, accused of marrying, well, his wife was accused of being a prostitute and of being basically in general ill repute. Yes. Oh, the scandals of days of yore. Oh, the right? scandals. <laughs> he, in, he, he so very much took things so personally when anybody disagreed with him or anybody, uh, you know, said something against, uh, you know, particularly mm-hmm. against his wife, Rachel, who did unfortunately die before he, uh, just before he was inaugurated and, that's he right. always he always swore that it was the the horrible press uh, around her that made her so upset and anxious and stuff that he thinks that's what killed her was you know the the horrible rumors about her and I've... it's like he he tried so hard to protect his own family that he he would lash out very easily when he felt like anybody was being disrespected um or, or any belief that he had was not not being agreed with. He, he was very quick to anger. So much so that I'd forgotten about that, that basically she died back at Hermitage while he was, I believe, was he still campaigning or just about to take the office? But it was... I, I think he was about to take the office. I feel like he had already won and... Uh, you know, it's such a common a common story among, you know, wives of presidential figures who don't really want them to go to Washington in the first place mm-hmm. because of the scrutiny and because of the spotlight and because of the stress. And he, w- I think he was at home with her when she fell ill and she died at home a couple of days later. Um, but it was just a month or two. I might be wrong on that, but it was shortly before he was inaugurated. And Michelle, to your point, uh <laughs> As I said earlier, with you know diseases that we only saw in Oregon Trail, this was in the times when uh, there was not a metaphorical distance between uh, husbands and wives, as far as the, if they were working in D.C. and running for elected office, it would take weeks, months to get across the country to go see your ailing loved ones. So it was not, not that it's ever an easy decision, but this was planning months in ahead if someone was sick what how soon can i get back to see him Eh, probably not very soon right and speaking of that scandal with his i believe it was secretary of the navy or maybe (laughs) undersecretary maybe not something that that glamorous maybe an undersecretary (laughs) position somewhere in there (laughs) he from all accounts i've read was not so much bothered on behalf of his so-called friend was that he thought these were the same people that vilified his wife that were doing this to this man who worked for him. So he took that extraordinarily personal and just in, (laughs) in a scandal that would make Trump kind of blush, just fired all sorts of members of his administration because yeah. their wives were mean, essentially. Yeah. Or rumored to have been consorting with someone who was mean. 
Yeah, it, it, it is kind of amazing to like learning a little bit about this era, this early America era, when pamphlets and, you know, newspapers were becoming even more widely circulated than they had. Um, mm -hmm. That's, you know, one of the initiatives to spark the revolution in the first place. But then the, the campaigning, campaigning was so different back then. And a lot of presidents didn't even campaign. Uh, they just thought it was beneath them to travel around and, um, you know, do anything that slightly resembles what, you know, politicians have been doing now for 150 <laughs> years, <laughs> 200 years almost. Stumping, if you will. Stumping, yeah, exactly. That's a better, <laughs> that's a better way to, uh, you know, summarize it. But, I mean, the, the kind of things that people would print, I mean, there was no fact check, there was no Wikipedia, and it's kind of hard to think, you know, remember, like, that's all kind of a new concept in human life. And, you know, their wives were openly accused of being prostitutes. Like, mm -hmm. not just even hinted at that, you know, she may be, you know, somebody of a questionable moral character or something, but, you know, that they were sex workers or, um, you know, that they were interrelated with uh, African-Americans, which was, you know, like, horrible to, you know, even state publicly back then. And, you know, it was, and, and so how do you fight against it? That would really piss off anybody. Mm -hmm. So it's like, in some ways, that kind of, that kind of slanderous talk, um, I can understand his anger and, uh, you know, the things he went through as a younger, as a child and as a younger man in the military and stuff. I mean, of course he would lash out and fight back. <laughs> he had the ability to, he had the power to, he had to do that when he was young to survive, even. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I was thinking about this uh, before, but especially now that you said all these different publications and how the media was changing around that time and kind of spurred the revolution. One of the podcasts I listened to said that he was a subscriber of around 17, I believe they said, yeah. publications, which yep. made me think, knowing the little I know of how a lot of newspapers, especially around D.C., operated at that time where it was not necessarily like a long-form article, but kind mm -hmm. of a one-sided thing where it said, this happened, this happened, this happened, this person stinks, but not obviously not like that. And it made <laughs> me think that, oh my gosh, just because you know, we're trying to find parallels and as our current president wants Jackson to be his kind of guiding light in many ways... Was do you think those seventeen publications was kind of like Trump viewing Twitter, where because we don't know if it was you know seventeen publications like he's getting the papers of uh, record for New York City, Washington D.C., uh, Chicago, like all these different places. It could just be seventeen publications that either agree with him or seventeen publications that do a combination of that and make uh -huh. him mad. Yeah. And, and so is he, because he is so angry, is he reading these as a way to make him, it's making him more angry without him knowing it, or is he doing it on purpose? Is it stuff that's, we, I don't know why I'm asking this question, because we don't know the answer, mm -hmm. but it did, that did cross my mind, was, was he, because I don't think he was necessarily a voracious reader of, as you talked about with politicians of the time, thinking that campaigning was, uh, below their level. Mm -hmm. 
where they would be sitting around reading classical literature, like we talked about with Jefferson, where he right. read the science literature of the day and the uh, you know, Western philosophy and the you know, Greeks and everything, was yeah. he sitting around reading these things which were more easily digestible and going, God damn it. <laughs> these I, insubordinate fools. I, you know, it, it's weird, but I, I do, I do want to give him a little more credit than that. that <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah. Fair. Uh, my, <laughs> my first uneasy feeling of, of defending Jackson in some way. No, um, I, I, I think it, cause I, I want to say that I, it was my understanding in my research that he read a mixture of publications. Okay. So he, he had a, he had his favorites that were, you know, uh, kind of lowercase Republican, uh, you know, limited federal government type of papers that would have been in his corner, but he would have also read like what other opinions were just to get a feel for things out there and to know what, what, kind of crap was being said about him you know because I, he I was a good politician good point <laughs> and you know and he 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 practiced as a lawyer for a while mm -hmm. like he he was obviously uh at least competent enough to yes. <laughs> participate in certain realms of things and be argumentative and make cases and um you know his his involvement with with the government at that time was um, he had a particular vision and a particular philosophy to, uh, you know, the federal government. And I think that reflects someone who is, uh, was being considerate, even though he does have, you know, he was quick to temper and he didn't like people disagreeing with him, but he always, he always wanted to know what was out there in the ether. Um, and so he could make arguments against it. And so he could fight against things like the bank of the United States. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he was also very, much a unionist in the sense that very true talk, talks of secession were going on decades and decades before the civil war mm -hmm. he was a slavery uh, you know he was a staunch uh, supporter of slavery he owned slaves he was down with slavery but he didn't want any other states who feared that slavery might go away he didn't want them to leave the union he was always he always had the vision of keeping the united states together and to grow together such as it was um so i think his um his reading of all these different publications was to keep himself informed. Um, Good point. <laughs> first and foremost, and I'm sure a lot of things really pissed him off at the same time too. <laughs> that seemed to be his general uh, operating <laughs> platform is always angry, but that that's a good point. Yeah. He, uh, well, it's but, like he he always thought he was right. He was mm -hmm. not a negotiator. He was not someone who was willing to make concessions on anything. But he thought he was right because he, you know, he at least considered himself educated enough to make right decisions, if that makes sense. He wasn't just a total blowhard. Mm -hmm. um, he he had certain, you know, views which were completely morally wrong. But he thought he got it. He thought he had things all figured out, and he he you know tried to support that with you know, I don't know. To use a bad analogy, he was a schoolyard bully who wanted to basically be on the same level as what he thought were the rich nerds, but knew enough that rather than just, you know, say, you nerds are nerds and I'm better than you, like, I'm going to show up and maybe I'll beat you up, but I'll also beat you up with your own words. Yeah. 
he was always ready for a verbal fight as much as he was a physical fight. He loved to duel. He did. He was in a lot of duels, um, which is bananas, because you would think, like, somebody hoity-toity, or at least hoping to be hoity-toity, like George Washington, would have been about that life, because we think of it as, you know, the slapping of the gloves and mm-hmm. the dropping, and you know, there's letters exchanged, and no, he just wanted to kick some ass sometimes, and uh, um, he didn't like being disrespected. No, not at all. And <laughs> to, uh, yeah, duels was, were not, uh, I challenge you to duel slap in the face with the leather glove, and I demand satisfaction. It was oftentimes, let's stand X amount of feet apart and shoot muskets at each other and see who the first person is to drop. Yeah. And in one case, uh, his most famous case, really, apart from murdering somebody, uh, <laughs> Jackson yeah. was hit very close to his heart, but didn't die, mm-hmm. even though he kept that uh, memento with him for the rest of his life. And I believe towards the end of it, too, it was also a driver than his deterioration towards his when he died. I think um, there is another incredible story. Uh, he was almost, he, there was an assassination attempt on him, too. That's right. Did they say the Did first one like yes. in recorded history? Yes, it's, our, it's the, the first official assassination t- attempt of a president. And a guy came up with Did he have two guns or was it just the one? Anyways, it misfired and Jackson like went after him. (laughs) I'm sure he did. (laughs) He survived, obviously, because he finished out his presidency and uh, died of quote unquote natural causes. But yeah, I mean, he's the type, you know, we we think about Teddy Roosevelt when he got shot and he still finished his hour and a half speech, uh, just slowly bleeding a little bit. No, Jackson, like, tried to chase down his own attempted assassin. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's crazy to think about. <laughs> this is a very weird tangent, and I'll, I'll go too far down this rabbit hole, but uh, uh-huh. and it's not an assassination attempt, but it makes me think of uh, my great uncle who passed away before I was born, I believe. Uh, Dad, please uh-huh. tell me if I'm incorrect on this. Who one time, well, he was the chief of police of St. Paul for a bit, and I read an oral history of basically his career as chief of police. And one of the things that jumped out at me was he pulled over someone for speeding. Okay. And this would have been in maybe the 60s, maybe the 70s. And you know, that wasn't a common thing at that time he pulled over for speeding. And he was already pissed off that he had to do this because it had been mandated by the mayor that you know, we're going to crack down on it and everyone's going to do it, including the chief. And the guy basically tries to give him like five bucks to let him go. And this angered my great uncle so much that he pulled the man from his car. And while he was in the process of doing this, the officers that he called for backup to actually do the writing of the ticket had to stop him. And he wasn't so mad. They thought that someone was trying to break the law and offer him five bucks. It was just that he could offer him such a paltry amount. Like, you <laughs> bastard. <laughs> and yeah. uh, to complete the story, he didn't want to get the guy in any trouble, so he just let him go at the end of the day. Like, right yeah. back to the station, like, what do you want to do? Like, it's a, it's a big fine now. It's like, well, I was just more mad that he did something so stupid as opposed to just take the ticket. Just let him go. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> just that kind of temper where you're like, you bastard. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's a it's a disrespect on like multiple levels yeah. there. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> That's right. Guess what, son? <laughs> yeah, the, the Jackson uh, was definitely like a whole a whole package and bundle of that kind of uh, reaction. <laughs> Which do you think it's a? Because even when I started reading about Jackson, and this would have been around the time Obama was elected, like maybe his first year in office when I wrote this paper. Uh-huh. And I don't recall, I mean, obviously, he's, uh, there are many, many cities across the South, cities and counties, that are named for Andrew Jackson. Mm. But I don't recall him being, at least in, in my knowledge, albeit one of uh, someone who was born in the upper Midwest and grew up in Colorado, that uh, he was that kind of respected, or I guess in, in our uh, words here, the kind of hero that apparently he was viewed at, is viewed at in the South. Does that seem right, Michelle, or does it seem like maybe I was just... Uh, a, I don't say victim, that's a crappy word. I was just a <laughs> product of my surroundings. Well, I'm, I mean, I I guess growing up, I had a very similar experience. So I wouldn't say that you, you're, you know, an outsider in that sense. Because uh, I'm trying to think, you know, kind of being taught Andrew Jackson, he was this big military hero and he was awesome and that was it, you know, it, I, he, he definitely wasn't, it's like, it, he, he, he's another figure that's kind of hard to put your thumb down on because it, his, uh, his image keeps changing mm -hmm. and it's changed a lot just even within our lifetime and it's kind of ebbed and flowed both as being this hero and this villain. Um, and, yeah, so I I don't think you're I don't think you're wrong in that. But think about just even a couple of years ago suggesting that we take him off of the money and there was a huge stink about it. Mhm. Mm I responded to something I believe our friend Brittany put on Facebook about uh you know how it, it's beyond time and yeah. my response at the time was that I thought it was kind of a delightful irony to keep him on there because he despised paper money. But looking back on that, like, I think even probably minutes after I posted, I'm like, but how many people are going to know that? Like, that's yeah. just a nerdy point where I'm like, I enjoy that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> I don't realize that people view this as, this is honoring somebody as opposed to, yeah. how droll. Like, oh, damn it. Because it, it's, it's like there, there are so many components of him that, like, him as this especially thinking about it in the context of the early 1800s, him being a political hero, a political savior, mm -hmm. it makes total sense. Yeah. It makes complete sense. I could totally see why he was popular, why he was well-liked. He, you As, know, touted in government, you know. He was the first he, really man of the people. Like, as absolutely. much as we talk about how, you know, there really are no self-made men. Yeah. Relatively well, to the time, like, much more so yeah. than now he was right. and the concept of the self-made man was such like 
it really is treated as this this perfect American American ideal. Um, and he was kind of an early example of that. He was not of the revolutionary generation. He was just a kid at the time. He it came cost from him the dearly, but he didn't necessarily fight in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It did. It, he, I mean, his life was greatly influenced by it, obviously. And that's part of why he cared about America so much was because he was treated by the British so badly um, <laughs> when he was in, in captivity. But he came from like Nowheresville, Carolina. He, we, nobody still really knows whether he was North Carolina or South yep. Carolina. He was born because it was just the one Carolina. Like they couldn't, <laughs> they didn't have the maps well drawn enough. And so to become a plantation um, owner, a slaveholder, a lawyer, a politician in the federal government, like he, he really was this self-made figure. And you know, it's the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, America is growing rapidly, both population-wise and geographically. And he hated Native Americans, which was a super popular thing at the time. He really did. Yeah, he truly did. Like he and his his family, his mother raised in that way too. That was a you know, they lived in the backwoods, and it was a constant struggle against Native Americans. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's how that his was, life yeah. was formed. You know, he was deeply, deeply wrong. Um, in his opinion of people who were not white, obviously. Um, but at that time in the 1820s, 1830s, like it makes perfect sense. He's like the perfect person to have become president at that moment in America. And so his heroism from that historical context makes complete sense. But at this point, 200 years later, trying to defend him makes me feel sick to my stomach because, because we have such different moral perspectives at this time. So trying to defend him now as a political savior feels really, makes me feel really uneasy. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why, you know, kind of thinking about him, it's like, he's, um, you know, he's this original story of the self-made hero, but he's also like, uh, you know, a warning of, if it's not the right time, mm -hmm. if it's not the right place, somebody who is so unabashedly, um, you know, against other branches of government and against people who are minorities and stuff, that's really dangerous stuff now. And to expand on your point, too, which is some good points there, I think part of why it's so hard to defend him at this point is that as Innskeep talks about usually with historical figures especially kind of these heroes we have as, as presidents is there's at some point a moral reckoning that probably happened before you and i have this conversation yeah. where it's like oh man this person did some bad shit and but that's been talked about and we've been able to kind of parse it out and whether they were alive to acknowledge it or acknowledge it at all um, mm -hmm. or it got kind of settled during a timely fashion um, usually helps. That never happened with Jackson. The kind mm -hmm. of two biggest things of him are that a lot of his wealth was based on not just speculating on land that belonged to other people, Native Americans, uh, Indians, that he mm -hmm. then took and he knew it was valuable, so he made a lot of money off of that but was also a slave owner, a plantation owner, and someone who just held this 
apart from I know there's the whole story and it's true that he adopted a Native American boy at one point who I believe died fairly young held this just general disdain and hatred of Native Americans for his entire life we don't I feel like that's something that comes up relatively recently now where we're trying to go hey how do we reckon with this because it has not been up brought up before and I also wonder how Jackson was viewed at the time like in you know one two three four administrations following his because under his uh, administration the country saw the largest financial crisis mm-hmm. in its history up until that point right. because he went so hard after <laughs> uh, you know the centralized bank and I feel like when we talk about Jackson, what I learned about him when we did like presidents in fifth grade was war hero. Did stuff to Indians, you know, kind of. Trail of tears. Let's not talk about too much. Very angry. His uh, wife was possibly a bigamist. End of presidency. What else happened? And that's I, I liked that so much about Inskeep had to say where there was this reckoning which we love to as Americans have this okay we figured out where we messed up and whether or not we still have something named after this person who did something so shitty but because we were like hey let's never do that again Jackson does not seem to be that kind of figure it's a as I said a figure that we go hey he did these great things and let's forget the rest or let's hey maybe we don't know the rest and was very 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 angry (laughs) the book Meacham's book should have just been called the angry American (laughs) lion Um, (laughs) yeah and was it Inskeep that also made the point too that you know speaking specifically about the Indian Removal Act it wasn't just Jackson. No. Congress supported it too. Mm-hmm. It was Inskeep that brought that up, yeah. And it wasn't Jackson. He may have pushed that idea through politically. Well, as you said, was, this had been something that was. Yeah, was in the consciousness of people for decades, for generations, really. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was his successor that actually made the Trail of Tears happen. That was under Van Buren's administration. So it's, it's like we need to step back and take an even wider view of not just criticizing Jackson, but trying to contextualize him within the era that he represented. It's like he was the, you know, they, it's called the uh, Jacksonian era or mm-hmm. the era of Jackson. But the era, he was as much of the era as he was the dictator of the era. Do you, you know what I'm trying to say? Oh, of like, course, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of people around him. Um, that fully supported everything that he did. And so, you know, it's it's not quite as simple as just canceling Jackson. It's like there's this, this whole culture that helped define our country, and he was just one person within it. He just happened to be a very powerful, um, you know, magnetic character that is, uh, he kind of summarizes a lot of things of that time period very easily. But as you said um, so before, too, to it up he was 
in a way, a moderating voice between the what we think of as conservatives, although he was essentially a founding member, de- or, uh, member of what we knew at that time as a Democratic Party, where limited government, pro-states' rights, all that stuff, but he did not want... He wanted to keep the union together, so it was, hey, you know, right. don't don't secede anybody, but also northern states, calm down a bit here. Like, let's, you know, pro... Uh, anti-slavery states, let's keep things together here, because we're, we're all in this, and he was, in a lot of ways, he was what we would call an early... Michelle groaned at this if you want, it is meant to be a joke. An early centrist. Um. <laughs> I'll just laugh at it. Okay. That's what it was meant. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, you're totally, you're totally right, though, because, like... He, he turned the president into this whole other, like, powerful force that his predecessors really couldn't have done. And so he's standing there in between the people that are like, let's get rid of slavery. And then, you know, the people that are like, we're going to leave the union so we can keep our slaves. And he's like, no, no. Everybody keeps their slaves and nobody's going anywhere. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and there was some interpretation of law. I think it was by South Carolina saying that, you know, we don't have to follow the federal laws if we don't want to. You're correct. Yep. And he was like, nullification. I'll, I'll be damned. There you go. Nullification. I'll be damned if you think that's what's going to happen. And he was very upset about that entire concept. He was all about keeping the union together. And that was his old buddy, uh, John C. Calhoun. Was it was, Calhoun? It was. <laughs> well, and he also thought that a lot of what South Carolina was doing, even though Calhoun was for it, was... Mm-hmm. Calhoun's machinations this is driving force. And nullification yeah. was Well, and who was the first who was the first state to leave the Union? South Carolina. <laughs> That's right. Um yeah. Right? Okay. Well, and to your point too about like, hey, you know, you get to keep your slaves and you know, butt out of this northern states. He also went, Okay, but northern states, you can also not keep your slaves. Like I'm not going to say you have to take slaves on. Mm-hmm. That's right. And yeah. Yeah. And then the Supreme Court comes <laughs> along, and they're like, "You have to recognize Native Americans as people." And he's just like, "No, here's here's no, yep. <laughs> I flagrantly disregard the uh, Supreme Court of the United States." And everybody was like, "Uh, oh, okay." And nobody I can know do better. About it. I have a vision <laughs> of the Union, and I will avoid this law because I feel like it. Right. Yeah, because it was his great line to the court, like, you know, here's the Indian Removal Act, and they said, no, that doesn't seem right. And he said, well, what army are you going to enforce this with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he... He was the one with the army. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And he knew it, and he knew it. And so that's why him as this, you know, he's this early example of a very successful strong man. Not a straw man, not a paper tiger, an actual, like, strong man, as you would think of it. Um, by definition, someone who goes for it and takes no shit, but he also doesn't take any advice and he does what he <laughs> wants. And so you do, you even see these horrible consequences of that, you know, with with ultimately the Trail of Tears and the removal of Native Americans from the East Coast and all the dire consequences that came with it. Um, but at the same time, like, nobody was going to stop him. 
Nope. And uh, so that's where the cautionary tale comes in because it's like now with how things are and how the United States is and how the world is in general, you know, a strong man with nobody to stop him, you know, those are, those are scary thoughts. Those are the type of things we don't want to happen anymore. What's more is there was no amendment um, to keep him from running for a third term. And you know, despite this Washington... is true, that was just respect for Washington. Yeah. It's true. What kept Jackson from running for a third term was essentially looming death. Like that was, <laughs> as you said, Michelle, like the res- respect like, for it's in his body still. It just yeah. wasn't holding together anymore. <laughs> yeah. He was. Was he in his seventies when he died? He was quite up there. He was. He, he did you ever see the photographs of him too yeah i have not i think you should google photograph of, of jackson because he did have his actual like photograph portrait taken before he died and if he's in his late 60s or early 70s he looks like he's about as old as methuselah like <laughs> you can see every line on his face so it's uh, it's intriguing stuff so he lived to be you know fairly old for that time period at least as far as averages go oh but, yeah yeah he could, oh i, I, he I have said that before <laughs> but yeah you're right like he couldn't have handled a third term he wasn't he wasn't going to be well enough to do it no and you know, to put it in kind of as you said michelle like respecting laws respecting norms and mores you know right now we have a president who's kind of saying you know, try it. Like, I might do a third team. I might not leave. And <laughs> to bring it back to Washington, for you know, a lot of what we respect about Washington was a man like that who was going, nope, this is how things should be because, you know, this is, I, I am a man of virtue. I don't know if he viewed that way. So he left. And yeah. uh, Jackson was a man that's, wanted to do things his way and in many ways had force of personality force of just all sorts of just things force. <laughs> and the political is while a word political uh I'm trying to think of like not savvy savvy no how i'm trying to think more like force the uh guile i don't know um, just the political ambitions. Oh, there we go. We'll probably cut that out. <laughs> I'm the, just shooting that word. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> to make sure that this kept happening. And uh, if it weren't for... Because I mean, he, man, he was quite old for that time period. Like, if it weren't for, yeah, the ravages of oncoming death uh yeah oh sorry he was in the democratic republican party excuse me yes but but yeah it is still the forerunner for the democratic party right correct oh and one other thing i should mention too is uh as you mentioned as much as he hated the washington establishment oh Excuse me. Um, Calhoun was not the vice president. I believe he was the uh, secretary of state. 
At one point, Martin Van Buren served in that same role for Jackson. Yes, yes. Van Buren was his VP, definitely. Yeah, that was... uh, that was how you moved up, was Secretary of State to, yeah, Vice President. Yes. Ugh, what a... What a fun guy. <laughs> but, no, I I do like that line that Inski from before, I said from before, where it's, like, how do we... There's got to be this reckoning, or, like, how we come together and go, hey, that was messed up, how do we fix that? But I feel like Jackson... I mean... It's hard to fault a man who's been dead for so many years. Uh, and we, we haven't come, like, I, we should fault ourselves for our legacy of him. And we haven't come to terms with how to really a- address the horrible things he did in office while also realizing how he could really exploit the power of his position. Um, because I believe conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, you probably agree right now that uh, the executive abuses their power probably more than we would like them to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This picture is so yeah. bad. <laughs> oh, his 1845 daguerreotype photo? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, is that him? It's it looks crazy. like <laughs> it's glasses He's on something. Hair, yeah. He's got the same hair, though. True. And I think his glasses actually have four lenses. He's got some, like, on the sides next to his temples. It's very interesting as a person who's been in the optical world for, <laughs> you know, six, six years now. It's kind of a steampunk look, actually. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think you made a really good point, though, that it's it's really his legacy that's harder to grapple with than him as a person. Um like understanding his background and knowing the time period he is in and from he like I said like I said before he makes sense in a lot of ways as being president in the 1820s and 1830s um but it's really how we view him now what he means now um how we want to see him now that's that's where the complications really lie true I also think about uh you know, our love of, not our love, but a uh, <laughs> a very powerful sections, section of society's love of Horatio Alger stories where young white men go from nothing to something based on solely the power of their ambition, virtue, and work ethic. Right. And <laughs> what we forget about is... It's rarely, well, never as pure as this, as they say, and um, especially now, there's never a from something to nothing. As if you're a, a white man, like you are born with a huge degree of uh, <laughs> advantage. In, in Jackson's case, yeah, I think we just we forget about. And Michelle, like you and I have been trying to talk about about history for as long as in the podcast, even before that. Mm-hmm. The interesting parts of history are the flaws, mm-hmm. and what makes I think what makes Jackson, in a way, boring, but also kind of what's a good term for it? Uh, not incoherent, but maybe just kind of hard to understand. Is that if we don't take it mm-hmm. more in a context, 
of not just the bad things he did in office, but maybe his upbringing, but also his just driving sense of anger and to, uh, I don't want to say petty vengeance, just say vengeance to mm-hmm. overcome everyone else. I think we do not understand him as a historical figure, but also fail to understand how such people in our society can get ahead. I feel like for as beloved like as a, he a is, mind. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, finish your thought. I was just going to say, for as beloved as he is, I feel like he's not really all that well understood, or his, or at least his significance isn't. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I'm already, I'm already seeing a pattern here, though, with us. Yep. It's like <laughs> all of these political saviors and political heroes that we're going to discuss and have discussed thus far it's like hmm, the more i learn the less i understand like the, <laughs> the more complicated how about the, it's like they're all people or something you know mm-hmm. it's uh because it is it's so it's um it's it's pretty much like it's not only really acceptable to you know question jackson and rail against what he represents historically in a lot of ways but it's like fashionable um yeah. For lack of a better term, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's almost, um, it's easier. It, I see it in both directions at this point, And it's interesting that I'm figuring this out about just my own perspective on these, these people that we've talked about so far on Jackson. But it's easier to defend him the less you know. And it's also easier to demonize him the less you know, too. What nuance? How dare you? Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> I struggle. I st- the struggle is real, Noel. Like, <laughs> but I want to know more. I, you know, I like learning. We both like learning. That's the fun part, right? It's, it is, but man, it's uh, it's hard sometimes. And uh, you know, Jackson for the horrible moral views he had on the world. The fact that I understand who he is more and where he's coming from, at least in the context of the time in which he was living. It's like, mm, this complicates things. I don't think he should be lionized the way that he has been. I would be super stoked if he was replaced on the $20 bill. <laughs> I don't want to defend him as a hero, but just as a, a particular human being who lived in the past, I think I understand him a little bit more now. For sure. I also think to the point about being a hero, I think the more we do these, the less I'm like, you know what? You know, I I get it. Like, I don't think you're a hero. Uh-huh. I don't think you're a villain. I think you're more of a case study in how we got to where we are right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and I want to <laughs> make sure that we don't heroize him. No. The way he has been. Like, he we really do need to consider reconsider our American origin stories and a narrative and, you know, learn from the past, but we don't have to glorify it. You know what I mean? For like, sure. let's, uh, let's take the past and move forward and make things better now. And, uh, you know, the, the past does not have to be glorified and vast majority of the time it should not be glorified. No. And, 
what I think about too is just from my own self is I go, oh man, I said that X amount of years ago. I said that yesterday. I said that whatever. And yeah. you know, you can beat yourself up all you want about that, which in some cases is a good thing. But something else you should ask yourself is, did I learn and am I better today? And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do here with more so with Jackson than we do with Washington is we're going, yeah. yeah, like had some things he did good and he had some things he sucked at. But are we better off for going, man, that guy sucked or better off going, man, that guy like was great or going, man, that guy had some issues, but he had some stuff that we should definitely keep track of and learn from. I think it's definitely that last part. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, what can we learn from this instead of what can we criticize or instead of what can we glorify? It's like, what can we learn? But learning's hard. I want to know the answers now, Michelle. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the more I know, the less I know, you know? <laughs> I was telling me some of that recently. I'm like, I've been feeling very sophomoric these days. Like, uh -huh. I, I don't know. It also goes in circles for me. Like, you know, towards the end of high school, you're like, yeah. Like, I know a lot of shit. Like, then you get to college. Man, I don't know anything. <laughs> and then you, like, get to the end of college. Like, man, I know a lot of stuff. And a little while later, you're like, man, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're, it, it kind of seems like we're all basically pretending <laughs> getting through life. Well, and hopefully, uh, I don't know, I feel like, personally, the older I've gotten, and obviously I'm not old, the more I'm willing to go, like, whether, whether or not I think I'm going to embarrass myself, I'm, I don't know this, or if someone asks me a question and say, what about this? I don't know. Like, yeah. let's look it up, like. Let's figure that out. Like, and if I don't know, I want to at least look into it because I'm interested. And I hope that's a trend that at least continues for myself, where mm -hmm. I'm uh, less bullheaded to go, no, I understand, and more go, no, I, I got to figure this out because I don't want to do it. <laughs> or even if I do, like, maybe I'm not doing this as well as I could. Yeah. Just try at least. <laughs> Michelle, that was what... Uh, I think Mark Maron had to say one point about wokeness as far as like white okay. men is yeah. I don't know, but I'm at least willing to try. Like oh, that's, yeah. that's Mark it. Maron. It's the lowest of bars to set as yeah. far as like, you know, how do I, how to be a better person? Just go, ah, let me hear what you have to say. Okay. Yeah. That, that's it. <laughs> like, yeah. And don't, that just totally makes me think of a Simpsons quote, <laughs> just to <laughs> get us off the rails here. Bart Simpson, I can't say I'll try, but I'll try to try. <laughs> Which, to be fair, in our, uh, well, not just our current political environment, but I think back to the Jackson days, if you were amongst a certain group of people, white men, um, that's a fair enough thing to say is I'll try to try. and But it's not just I'll try to try. It's that I'll continue to try to try. And I'll try to listen. Oh, there you go. That's good. Which segue here, because we're at just over an hour now. Yeah. I have been racking my brain the entire day for a good thing of the week. But I can't think of anything that's not 
like even like the dumbest before like I enjoyed this podcast. I honestly can't think of anything where it's like uh, it jumped out like everything's been good. It's just it's just like mm, yeah, no. Just nothing I, I, enjoyable I should say like where it's like I went on this trip, I did this, I got this. It just hasn't been there. Yeah, I I feel you. I texted you yesterday. I was like, work was a disaster. We can't record tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it just, I was talking with my boss today, and it's like, it's been such a weird year, a bad year, a stressful year, and the punches just keep on coming sometimes. Um, And even if those punches don't, like, put you down, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to find the good things sometimes. Um. Yeah. Do you want me to start good thing of the week then? Was that was that your? Uh, I think I've got request. <laughs> one just because I know she's listening. Um, yeah. So without getting specifics, my mom had surgery last week oh. for uh, something else that like it's well it's nothing bad but uh, yeah yeah she had surgery and it went well and I'm <laughs> this is I guess. I'm not trying to be morbid or anything, but, you know, 2020 has been a rough year for a lot of people. And, you know, she's doing well. And she's not going to have the most fun the rest of the year. But right now, you know, she's recovering and the surgery went just fine. And I told someone at work about this. And he, I don't want to reveal anything, but I was like, dude, I, I didn't apologize for telling you about my mom's predicament. I just said, your dad you know, isn't getting beat by 2020. Your dad fucking beat 2020. The Aww. amount of things this guy has gone through and is still going. I was like, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. that's that's impressive. And I said, not specifics, but like, whoa. Like, yeah. multiple things. And yeah. So I guess good thing. We, yeah, my mom's good. Good. With uh, that's a great thing. Exactly. With I the, don't know what the details are, but it's a great thing. It doesn't matter what it is. That's with a the exception thing. of a few health ailments, like stuff of people around me, everyone in my family is good. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, I'll that's my good thing of the week, and let's say good thing of twenty twenty. <laughs> good. I like it. That that makes me want to chime in too because a lot of our listeners probably know my sister was diagnosed with leukemia earlier this year and uh what a sucker punch right in the middle of the covid pandemic um you know a lot of families have dealt with that and a lot of people have died and i'm also very lucky and blessed that nobody in my family has been affected by that and that my sister's done with her chemotherapy and we should find out in about two weeks time if she's cancer free or not. So that's also a really great thing. Yes, she's fantastic. also beaten 2020. There's people out there who just, man, no, like, like you said, that one guy's dad, my sister, it's just, they're out there just swinging punches and, you know, just really, just really beating 2020 back. And, um, you know, thank God that those people are around us and uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. I have my, the one, (laughs) this is kind of funny now. (laughs) My actual good thing of the week, I was going to (laughs) say was, uh, or like my, my regular, like mediocre now, good thing of the week (laughs) 
was um, I recently got into the PBS series Finding Your Roots. Have you ever seen that? I have not. I'm familiar with it. I just haven't seen it. It's actually a really lovely show. Um, it's got the history. It's got history elements in there. Uh, the host helps you know celebrities basically find their family histories that they never knew about, and you know it's uh, it's just a really really cool program. Uh, you know, you and I are huge fans of history. We love learning more. Um, understanding other people can help you understand yourself sometimes, and mm-hmm. so that's that show's been really really cool to watch and uh, just learn more about what life is like and what life was like for regular people. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's the other cool thing. Excellent, excellent. Yes, yes. everyone, uh, keep uh, cheering on your loved ones if they have any health ailments of any sort, and uh, yeah, keep just keep, yeah, take care of each other. Yeah, take care of each other. Twenty twenty is not over, but we gotta, you know, we gotta keep swinging. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta keep fighting. That's it's, right. Let's. It's hard sometimes, but we gotta keep fighting. <laughs> let's make sure 2020 ends at the end of this year, please. Yes, yes, that it ends and does not continue after that. So. Please, <laughs> please, please. I think with that, we'll call it. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Noel.